0: Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday and welcome to HR Work Break. Today, I'm joined by John Register, Paralympic silver medalist, board member of the American Association of People with Disabilities, and member of Canaries Advisory Board. Canaries is a technology company focused solely on providing the tools organizations need to create long-term systemic change around diversity, equity, and inclusion challenges. John, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. for I can't wait to get in this conversation. I love this. This is awesome. So I appreciate you having me on the show.
0: Yeah, of course, and I'm so excited to get into this conversation with you, too. And kind of just to get us started, I would love to know how you personally define inclusion and belonging, in the workplace or in general?
1: I think this is a great question that we can all ask ourselves, right? When we are in a situation at work or at home, how are we including others into that conversation? And then how also are we expanding the community with that? And so I think that's a great starting point for how I do it as well. So when I'm in my family, I want as many voices around the table as possible because I enjoy listening to those voices. They are a part of my community. They're a part of my culture. So that's including them and not only inviting them into the conversation, but also seeing myself as a peer-to-peer sometimes relationship. I mean, I do have the hat of dad or husband or father or uncle or you know whatever nomenclature that is. But when we're kind of around Thanksgiving, which is coming up, we just want to have a conversation and just flow with that. And I think that's the spirit of what we're talking about when we're talking about inclusion. Belonging is deeper, right? To flip to my keynote speaking hat now, to me, when I think about belonging, I think it's one of the things that holds us back from the jumps that we need to make. And let me explain that. So I was a former world-class hurdler for the University of Arkansas And I had an injury which amputated my left leg. So I became part of the disability community while I served in Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And so one of my challenges was how I'm going to show up in my new body with these new apparatus and this new prosthetic and and how do I navigate that? So I was thrust in that. Others are, they make the choice of a transition. But before they make the choice to go over the hurdle, in my case, what I say hurdle adversity, there are three things I think hold us back. One are other people other people who believe for us what we can or cannot do, which is based upon what they believe they could or could not do if they were in our situation, and to society. Society will press upon us how we believe and how we show up because of how they dictate to us. Example, Captain Hook is an above-the-wrist amputee. He's in the movie Peter Pan. I'm six years old when I see this movie for the first time. So I'm afraid of people who have disfigurements that are amputees, that have weird mustaches, that are the villains. Yeah. But wait a minute, you know, I'm an amputee now. Do I see myself as the villain because Disney showed me as the villain? And think about all the things that we see in the disability community of those. And going back to the belonging is if I have to make a jump and I have these presses upon me that say I'm supposed to show up in this societal context, I won't do it or I'm less likely to do it because I don't want to leave my sense of belonging. And that, when I look at the larger context of HR, Belonging, I think, goes more to the culture that you're trying to build, that we want everyone to belong, not just to be included, because I can be included in the conversation, but you're not going to really take me as family, right? So I want to truly belong and have inputs and wherewithals that I can assist in the different conversations of building the organization or the team.
0: Yeah. And kind of speaking towards the idea of having a seat at the table versus like having a safe place to give a voice at the table. Accessibility plays a huge role in that, and we've seen this huge shift to remote work that disabled people have been advocating for for ages. So I'd love for you to expand on accessibility within the workplace.
1: I think that first, we often will say in ERGs, BRGs, we want to have these groups' voices heard. Usually the last population at the table are people with disabilities. But the funny thing about it or the observation I make is if we ask the question and people self-identified, we will see we probably already have a group of individuals that just aren't coming forward. So number one, what's your culture like as an HR professional to let people self-identify their fully authentic self? Because once they do that, the organization will elevate and will lift because people can bring their full self to work without any kind of retaliation or retribution or being thought of different which usually goes back to belonging. I want to belong. And if I feel that I'm not going to belong, I'm not going to self-disclose. So therefore, that's a culture issue that we might have to be dealing with. I think secondarily to the question is in the workplace, people with disabilities have always been trying to advocate to be part of the team, but a lot just can't get into the office. So they were advocating prior to the pandemic, hey, I can just work from home. You know, just let me work from, oh no, that's what we said. We want the team to be built inside of, you know, whatever the context of the brick and mortar. Yeah. And now we're finding when the pandemic first hit, we all shifted or many of us shifted to working from home, which gave a better playing field to those with disabilities because they already knew they could do that. They already had the system set up in their house. And oftentimes I think, you know, Maddie, we look at this from a standpoint of, the cost to transition a person into the work environment if it's a brick and mortar or not. And the cost is really, I think the last number I saw was about $600 for an accommodation. That's about the average cost. Can we just get people indoors for the 600 bucks? It costs more than that per person when we send everybody home. Mm, Yeah. We had to set up IT systems and we had to set up the computers and all the things that we had to do to talk back and forth and communicate and load programs on. It costs more than that 600 bucks. So I think that's the other thing. You know, I I think we'll get into it. But uh, I think the third thing that's kind of unwritten is does the institution that's being impressed upon to change to take this talent actually want to take the talent? I think that's the thing. We can talk about that in a minute if you want to.
0: I have a statistic, actually. A recent study found that 90% of companies cite diversity as a priority, but only 4% of them feel that hiring people with disabilities is part of that initiative. So it kind of goes back to what you said like they might tout these big D, E, and I initiatives, but do they have the up-and-atoms to hire and support people with disabilities?
1: There's lots of thoughts, Maddie, in my head about this one.
0: I'd love to hear them.
1: You know, so one of my mentors, this brilliant woman, Judith Human, Judy Human, she's the mother of the independent living movement. Y'all have to look her up. I mean, she just put a book out there and she's just amazing soul. So she was on the Trevor Noah show. Oh, cool. And she was pushing a book. And so Trevor asked her the question, And Judy sits in a wheelchair. She has, you know, black hair and kind of wears glasses. And so Trevor asks her and says, you know, Judy is part of the able-bodied community. And then Judy stopped him and said, you know, Trevor, you're really temporarily abled. Oh, wow. And so we all probably go through a disability. As we age, we'll probably have a disability. So that's what she was referring to. And then Trevor said, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Threatening me? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) And it stunned her. And it stunned me because I was watching the show. I was like, oh my gosh. And so as I called her after the show, she said, John, he got it. I mean, he was being funny, but he just, he said what everybody is afraid of. We do not want to become the person that we look like as we might be hiring and we might suppress that, but no one wants to become the amputee. No one wants to become the person that's in the wheelchair. And we sometimes will project onto ourselves because the movies or society taught us over and over again that that is bad. Mm Mm-hmm. So if I have my child going down the aisle of the grocery store and I see somebody in a wheelchair coming my direction and that child says, mommy, why are they in the wheelchair? Or daddy, why are they in the wheelchair? We tend to take them around a different aisle. Oh, it's impolite to stare. So we avoid and we teach that child in that moment that this is wrong, that something is wrong with this individual. And that's the root of it because once we begin the hiring process, that is still in our psyche of our bias. Yeah. And we all have bias, but that's there. So we have to recognize that. And I think that when we talk about the ADA, which is signed into law in 1990, we see that it's a great idea. We want to do it. We got curb cutouts and we have buses kneeling and we have all these great accessible things of universal design that's gone on. But what we haven't seen is the need to move on employment.
0: So difficult when like, logically, people might understand, like, even if someone looks different from you, you should accept them. But it's hard when those teaching moments at a young age don't start and might not even be across the
1: board. Right. In my keynotes, what I do is I walk people through that process, through my own journey. It's a really good, fun story journey, but it's really about not my story. It's about what we learn from that story that we can put in the context of that HR professional, of that other individual, because we got to wrestle with it with ourselves. And that's not my job. That's the individual's job to do that work. Exactly. And so when I do it as keynotes, I'm always trying to open that aperture up to get people to understand, to do their own work. We have fun in those keynotes. But Accenture did a report in Q4, I think of 2018, which came out, it's the biggest study that was ever done on this. And they said, if you have two alike companies, one company that hires, retains, and promotes people with disabilities, and the other company that does not, company A actually outperforms company B two to one to shareholder returns. And so that caused the comptroller of New York State at the time, Mr. Tom DiNopoli, to say, I'm going to invest these trillion dollars of pension funds into company A's and not company B's because I'm going to get a better return on my investment. And so that caused another ripple of the CEOs now signing on in these top 250 companies, signing on for this disability equality index to say they're going to commit to hiring, retaining, or promoting people with disabilities for their own companies. And that's how you begin to move the needle in creating that in your own businesses. You have to see the value. And where the value is not there, we have to create the value.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in creating that value, what ways do you recommend for leaders to start those initiatives within their company like yes the government funding pensions and stuff is like a huge push but sometimes change has to start on a smaller scale
1: yeah I think the easiest thing or not maybe it's not the easiest thing but a thing to do not the thing but a thing to do might be to either start begin an employee resource group with disabilities in mind and because disabilities cut across all of the ERG BRG groups, Make sure that you're inviting all of those team members in as well. And you got to pay the position because what you pay attention to, what you validate, what you value, you're going to invest in. I would encourage people to invest in that position. Don't make it like a volunteer or volunteer job. Really invest in it. And there needs to be tone from the top that there is going to be some type of an executive sponsor for that that's going to have a validated report on what we can do to open up the belonging to the organization. And I think the good point number two is to really balance that against the values of the organization. Are the values of the organization really encompassing of everybody that's there? So for example, if there's a value of diversity, equity, inclusion, does my board of directors look like that? Does the staff executive team look like that of what I'm trying to build the company culture as? Because when I come in on a glass door or something and I'm looking at a company that I want to go into... If I don't see anybody that looks like me in leadership, I know I'm going to go so far. That's just already built into my psyche, right? And it works the same way kind of in the disability community as my own disability community of amputees. And I look in magazines and I look to see if I'm reflected for those that might not be seeing me, I'm an African-American male. Uh, I have a white beard and I'm wearing a black shirt with a JR logo on it. But if I don't see myself reflecting that magazine, you know, will I buy that product or will I do that service in that ad? I'm looking at businesses and seeing how they are aligning to the missions, the values that they have based upon what the leadership team looks like, based upon what the board of directors looks like. And some, I say they're crushing it. They're killing it. I know that they're going faster. When I come in again as a keynote speaker on this topic, I will tell companies and leadership, I said, well, they might be a billion dollar industry. And I'll tell them, you have a long way to go. You're not even scratching the surface. And they'll say, what do you mean? I said, because you're homogenous. <laughs> so therefore, you're only getting the best of a very small slice of talent. Well, we just can't find the people. Well, then you just don't have the people on your team that are talented enough to find the people. Yeah. So that's a response back that we have to say and push. Because if we as HR professionals are out there saying that we can't find the talent, then we got some growth to do. That's the bottom line. And so if you're only getting people in that that look a certain way, oh, because we got to fit the culture. Well, let's expand and find other cultures that might fit your culture.
0: Yeah, because at the end of the day, the culture isn't necessarily the company. It's the people who make up the company. Absolutely. And if you want your culture to be inclusive, you have to have that kind of an inclusive company from your entry-level employees to your C-suite, like you said.
1: And then it will grow exponentially because people will say, this is such a great place to work. It's a safe place to work. I feel heard. And I feel as if I belong here and not just included. Yeah. So you made a comment, Maddie, earlier about getting in the room. We want all the folks voices in the room. And so we always hear, uh, well, from Hamilton, right? Aaron Burr, sir, was saying,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: got to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens, the room where it happens. And I think, yes, we have to be in the room where it happens. And also- We have to keep the door open to the room. Yeah. Right? It's like a revolving door that we can have different opinions come in to hear what we're thinking about so that we can expand the best for all.
0: Yeah, because no decision happens in a vacuum. So if you allow that door to be open and you realize we started with decision A, but we didn't account for situation B, allowing people to have that kind of voice makes you better and more flexible in the end.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, I think that you know, there's a case in point. I was thinking about the United States Olympic and Paralympic Museum. Mm -hmm. It's in Colorado Springs, Colorado, Olympic City, USA. And I love this place. It's one of the most accessible museums in the uh, world. Whatever the ability level that a person has, they can go through this museum. Oh, that's awesome. But when they designed it, they designed it as a discus being thrown upwards, right? Oh, cool. Everything was going from the bottom floor up to the top. And then you have this pinnacle experience to look over Pikes Peak. So when they put the Paralympians in, they said, well, you know, this going to be hard for us because we push wheelchairs and we'd rather roll down than push up. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were like, oh my gosh, that's right. So they redesigned the exhibits and everything. And they flipped it from top to bottom. So now you get on an elevator and you see this Pikes Peak mountain, and then you go down and everybody has a unique experience. So big deal. It is if you're a wheelchair user, right? Or if you're somebody that may have just became temporarily disabled, it's a big deal. And I think that's the next thing is when we talk about disability and what we're calling it in the disability community, we call it disability. We don't call it something else. There's a reason for that. Because if I say I'm differently abled or some other name like that, then what I'm doing is I'm trying to appease myself on not saying that this person is a person with a disability. We have the Americans with Disabilities Act. We have the UN Rights and the Convention on the People with Disabilities so that's the accepted term for people that are in our space. So it doesn't work. Like if we took it out and we put the noun or the, in the adjective in a different context for someone else. So I'm like some black or African-American. It doesn't work if I say I'm differently black.
0: Yeah. That doesn't quite match.
1: <laughs> right. It doesn't match. So it doesn't work. And so we have to run that through that mill and we can begin to extract and pull that out for other individuals And just say, the nomenclature doesn't really matter. We want to put these people in in boxes. And I say, yes, I'm John. You know, I have a disability and I'm African-American or black. And so I have those things I can say. But when it really gets down to the crust of the matter, I just want you to call me John.
0: Yeah. It's like what you said about leave the doors open to the meeting room. Like putting someone in a box might help you understand where they're coming from. But at the end of the day, like there's so much more than whatever boundary you might have drawn for them.
1: Yeah, and I think that gets around, you know, we talk about language with people with disabilities. Let's see the person and not the disability. That's why sports is so great. Yeah. There's a moment in Paralympic sport where if you are there for the first time watching, like, say, wheelchair rugby, you got these armored tanks of wheelchairs smashing into each other. And these are quadriplegics playing this game. Oh, wow. So if they ever, you know, fall out of chairs, an attendant has to come in and get them back in the chair to actually play the game. And they have the mindset of a rugby player. They are not a quadriplegic. They are a rugby player. And there's a moment when you're watching the game and you get past the initial shock of that big boom when two wheelchairs hit each other and slam into each other. There's a moment when the, oh my gosh, oh, are, are they okay? Goes away and go get them, go get them, <laughs> you know, comes in yeah. uh, <laughs> and you can see the shift of the audience because the disability goes away and they begin to see the humanity and the person. That's a powerful thing because that translates a person into the next level. I call it going from the what? What's going on here? Oh, wow, that's amazing. Holy cow, they're doing something great. To, oh, what's my responsibility to help expand this as an advocate or an ally? Yeah. That's kind of the road projection process for me.
0: That's like such a powerful image too. Be sure to tune in next week for the continuation of John and I's conversation on disability, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Again, I'm Maddie Collins, and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.